Hey, welcome to the Morning Mic Check. I'm Pat Brown here with Mike Metzger. Mike and I have known each other for a while now. I first met him around 2010, and he's become one of the key mentors in my life. Over the years, we've had countless conversations, and in almost every one, I've walked away having discovered something new. Mike has this unique ability where he can reframe a conversation, and you begin to discover a deeper reality around you. It's a bit like Alice tumbling down the rabbit hole. I'm releasing these conversations as an invitation to follow me as I go down that rabbit hole. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Uh, Merry Christmas to you. We're recording this right before Christmas, but Merry Christmas anyway. Well, thank you, and the same to you. We, Gosh, we did record this. We are recording it, but when you're listening to it, it's the day after Christmas. And... Um, Amazing. So we're not going to be sleepy much between now and Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Well, you know, in thinking about Christmas, I was just processing through, man, what is what is Christmas going to look like moving forward? I, growing up, you know, I've had definitely had these these thoughts, and I know believers that have a similar thought of, you know, kind of that, I would, I would describe it as that maybe... Uh, purest Christmas mentality, you know, that, uh, oh, isn't a shame that, you know, Christ isn't in Christmas anymore. Christmas is not about Jesus. And, uh, and I was just kind of reflecting, well, man, what is Christmas? What does Christmas look like in Babylon? Right. As, as we are moving forward into, I don't know, further into what feels like exile, what you've described as exile. Um, what is Christmas going to be like? How how are my kids going to be, or my children are going to be raised in uh, in the United States? And like, what what is Christmas going to look like? And what should we hold on to? And what should we cherish? And I, uh, yeah, I'm I'm curious curious of thoughts on. Uh, yeah, what what do you think it's going to look like? How do we how do we celebrate Christmas in Babylon? How do we be mindful of of the season as believers? Christmas in Babylon. Well, of course, we have to help those who are literalists of our three listeners. There's got to be two of them. They're going to say, "Well, they weren't Christians when they were in Babylon, Pat." So <laughs> get with it. Okay, so they were the people of God, and when they were the people of when the people of God. When they're in Babylon, it's good to know, first of all, or good to remember, that there were guesstimated in Babylon over in the city over 1,100 different temples. So it wasn't secular as a lot of Christians today understand secular. It was actually a, a gazillion or over 1,100 alternative takes on religion or faith or spirituality. It was an explosion of alternative takes on spirituality. So I think it's appropriate what the question you ask, Pat, because since the, uh, you know, you and I are one of uh, 29 people in the U.S. who have read Charles Taylor's book. <laughs> And he would say, since the 1700s, first there was an alternative take, an explosion of alternative takes on what's real and true. And then in the eight, uh, 19th, especially the 20th century, that came into the church with an explosion of alternative takes on what is the gospel, what is discipleship, and uh, really a, a growth industry of uh, 
everybody doing what's right in their own eyes regarding what church should be about. It's what uh, I alluded to a book by Luther Whitlock. The disunity now is because of the uh, mass market appeal now of the American church. It's basically in a market mentality to grasp, to gather market share. Hmm. And so, so it's appropriate to ask, uh, what about Christmas in Babylon? And so because of that, first of all, I have to remember, why were the Judeans in Babylon in the first place? Why were they in exile? Well, if you want to sum it up, they had been idolatrous. They hadn't. Right. Uh, they'd succumbed to the cultural norms of the uh, part of the world they lived in rather than actually shaping the cultures. They were shaped by those cultures. And, of course, they're always going to be shaped by them, but we're supposed to give it a good whirl about trying to, in, in some way, govern them or influence them or what have you. So, first of all, we're going to talk about uh, please celebrate or commemorate Christmas in if we are in exile, if we're in a post-Christian world, we first have to take into account how have we succumbed to the uh, cultural norms out there. And one would be this. It was Franklin Delano Roosevelt who, to sort of goose the economy coming up to Christmas, deemed these four weeks before Christmas would be uh, sort of the season kicked off after Thanksgiving for uh, selling. For, for merchandising, for uh, gift buying, and so on and so forth, which I think in many ways has seriously eroded the understanding of Advent. Yeah, I'm not familiar with, with that. So when when did this shift to the four weeks before Christmas go into effect? Like, well, I remember when did, when did, uh, when was FDR elected president? Um. Short Nell, a history lesson. Yeah, come on, Mike. It's was so anything. Funny. Was it what was going on in the world when he was elected? We were just coming. Out came of, after Herbert Hoover, remember? Right, just coming out of the the depression. No, we weren't coming out of it. We were in it. We were in it. And in fact, so he he uh, introduced the New Deal, hmm. and it was basically proliferate uh, government spending to goose the economy, hmm. and. Uh, this is in the 1930s. So now a lot of people would say that it didn't actually goose the economy so much as World War II goosed the economy. Sure. But anyway, the point is, uh, I would guess that most of us are more American than we are Christian when we understand the four weeks before uh, Christmas. Right. Because, right. But not, and, and there are those who still maintain this, but at least we have to understand a part of what we succumb to is. Uh, there, there would be a fair number of churches, and they would fall more along the Protestant line. They would fall more along the evangelical line. That there is no marked difference in the experience of the worshiper when they attend worship for those four weeks, in terms of the uh, creeds, the smells, the sounds, the music, the sobriety, the call to repentance and all the things that mark advent yeah it's um, no different than any other yeah. sunday other so than i'd say first of all we used to come there so at the very least what we're trying to say is uh, we say how do you celebrate christmas um well first of all the, the pattern in the church has always been the high feasts should always be preceded by the low, the high should be perceived by the low to accentuate the height. The low is fasting. Hmm. 
the deprivation, the abstinence from certain celebratory habits. So fasting should precede feasting. And uh, if you don't, if you succumb more to FDR's view that these four weeks are for uh, shopping on Amazon now, we don't hardly go to the mall anymore, um, and wrapping presents and tinsel and trees and all these things, which are, of course are all fine, but what we're doing is eroding, uh, making it more difficult to truly celebrate uh, Christmas. So first of all, I'd suggest if you're a Christian and listening to this, still listening to us at this point, you might consider next time around um, having you, at the very least, but hopefully uh, worship at a church that takes Advent more seriously. So it just takes Christmas more seriously. Again, I understand this isn't going to be a, a wide a wholesale sort of deal because even in Babylon, the, uh, the majority of Judeans were not like the sons of Judah. They didn't sit by the rivers of Babylon and weep and how they'd blown it. But some did. You can start there. Um, you could Google UB40, not U2, UB40, and they had their take on the, the song in Isaiah. By the rivers of Babylon did we weep. There's another thing you could do. Pat, I think you mentioned this, is uh, emotionally, what is uh, today... Monday, December 26th. What's it like for most Christians in Babylon? <laughs> What's it feel like? Christmas is over. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it feels yeah. like. It's like, oh man, the season, you know, we're, we're here, we've arrived, it's done. Let's move on to the new year. How long will you leave the tree up? Those are the big raging issues right there. <laughs> um, yeah. What are, what, what are we going to take to Kohl's? Because they'll take Amazon returns. <laughs> uh, Uncle Jack didn't like the flannel shirt this year. Um, the slippers were too small. <laughs> yeah. It's the uh, who's going up in the attic to pull the boxes down. Yep. To start to put this. It's a groaner. Uh, I remember. And I can remember just piles of receipts on the kitchen table, you know, mom and dad kind of sorting through. Okay, let's go back. So we're right back to FDR's uh, desire. He, he he basically impacted the four weeks before, and he's got the week after also. And in fact, the stores help you out because it used to be they give you 14 days to return it or you're stuck with the stuff. That's also uh, the day after is, uh, if it wasn't Christmas Day, it's certainly today. Um, Got to start putting stuff together. And then if the weather's good enough, uh, little Biff wants to get out on that new motorized whatever it is to terrorize the neighborhood. So you got <laughs> it's a it's a tough deal to celebrate for this reason. Have you ever heard of the Twelve Days of Christmas? Of course, there's a song. Yeah. <laughs> now the silliness of the song you can set aside. The point is, in some traditions, even to this day, Christmas is celebrated for twelve days. And the first was yesterday, Christmas Day. This is the second day of Christmas. So if you, uh, yes, this is just a shameless plug for my column this morning. Uh, the second day is St. Stephen's Day to celebrate the first martyr, the first adult martyr. And so uh, you have a jubilant birth on the first day of Christmas. You have a gruesome murder 
on the second. And that's the beginning of the 12 days of Christmas. Now, what's the value of having celebrating and commemorating 12 days of Christmas? Any idea? More shopping, maybe? <laughs> no, no, you're thinking like... <laughs> no, hey, I mean... Do you, have, do you have kids? Of course, yes. Tell the listeners, what do you have? Yes, I have three beautiful little children. Mm-hmm. That are all in the toddler or before age. It's a little chaotic around here at times, but that's yeah. right. So when each one was born, I guess born at the hospital probably, and so they're born at the hospital. And the second day, uh, you just moved down. That's right. Hey, did anybody see Biff today? <laughs> they're gonna roll them in. Who? <laughs> We're packing up. Well, packing up for what? Well, we're gonna go home. Okay. Hey, what about the cute little toddler? The what? We won't really think about that till next year. <laughs> we'll have a season of getting ready, shopping to buy all the stuff the little Biff will want. And um, then we'll celebrate uh, his birthday. And then we move on. You don't do that. In fact, people are pinging you all the time. Like, ah, oh, send those pictures. Now I'll come, come by and see them. Mm-hmm. It's celebratory for quite a while. 12 days of Christmas. Imagine if, as some traditions do, and yet, no, we don't do that, so I'm not, I'm not saying you're a bad sinner if you don't, bad Christian if you don't do this, but each day is giving a gift. That's why 12 days of Christmas, my true love gave to me. So it commemorates more how believing that Jesus really did come in the flesh. Well, you say, we've had that too. We have begotten a child, which means to make. Uh, I mean, to uh, it comes from the, actually from the Greek where we get our word gender, to generate. And uh, he was generated, and we've generated children, and, uh, you know, for those first 12 days, it's, it's magical. You might think about that. Well, you bring up kind of a, a unique point, which is looking at it from the perspective of, you know, okay, well, we have Christmas in its, its maybe uh, original form, right? That's a misconception to think that, oh, particularly in the U.S. today, most people aren't celebrating Christmas as they ought to. Well, but if if you're in the, uh, if you're attending a church, which likely will be, that is not actually celebrating Advent or is not looking at, you know, uh, observing the 12 days of Christmas, you also may be, (laughs) the argument could be made that you are also not celebrating Christmas as it ought to be celebrated. Um, and again, I think there's there's an argument there. It's not necessarily clear cut, but still, you have to realize mm. this idea of oh no, the idea of Christmas is changing. I think there's an awakening there that's important, which is Christmas has changed long ago. Like we've been we've been observing a, a Christmas that is maybe not uh, not the most in line with how we ought to for quite a while now. So. Yeah, it's just more commercialized. Right, yeah, yeah. 
There you go. So we've been observing a commercialized Christmas both in the church and outside of the church for quite mm-hmm. a while. Yeah. It's 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 yeah. It's more than just oh, but we know about Jesus. Yes, but there are other really important aspects to the tradition that we are not observing as believers or many of us are not. And so there's for me, I think that's helpful to realize huh, there's something about like stumbling into or stumbling through our faith which I think is valuable here. So if I have been observing a Christmas tradition that maybe is still missing pieces or commercialized, maybe maybe from the worst lens, you call that corrupted, right? Um, mm-hmm. It has still allowed me to stumble my way into a deeper love and yearning for Christ. Yeah. And so what's you know what's the, sort of the, the the layers of that, tears of that? So in in a secular world or in Babylon. Is it is it so bad that Johnny over there is shopping for his son for Christmas and actually doesn't really know Jesus from his blue jeans? But is that is that really a bad thing that he's still observing Christmas and is that actually helping his chance of stumbling into the faith or is that hurting? You know, I'm not sure. Yeah. Well, those are those are, uh, those are appropriate questions. I uh, obviously I don't know. Um, I would say what's unique about a post-Christian of the church being in exile is the same challenge that the Judeans had in Babylonian exile. It's not that people weren't spiritual, but what was implausible is that there was one true God. Yeah. That's our challenge today. It is simply implausible for an increasing number of people and Americans, and I just read these uh, the latest poll, it's now guesstimated somewhere between it, it, current trends continue. And no one has a crystal ball, you know, past performances, not you know, predictive of future results, and what mm-hmm. financial advisors always tell us <laughs> to sort of cover their ass. And uh, but uh, <laughs> they, uh, what do you mean my portfolio is down ten percent? <laughs> <laughs> um, what was our point here? So, <laughs> talking if, about implausibility. Yeah. So, so what this uh, most recent article they just simply ran four scenarios: best case, worst case, and the uh, best case is um, it says given current trends by 2070, will be the first time that the majority of Americans will not profess to being Christian. Uh, but the worst case is by 2050 which is what uh, this is now 20 coming up in 2023 that ain't that many years away yeah um now i'll grant you the problem with that is a lot like the doctor telling the uh, 65 year old you got to stop smoking and he goes yeah yeah whatever because it's a habit and um practice doesn't make perfect practice makes habits and uh, the majority of I think Christians in the United States, it doesn't matter what denomination, their habit is expressive individualism. This is how I understand the faith, and I ain't changing. Because that's how I am comfortable understanding the faith. And But what happens then, Pat, is it's 
if there's this many varieties of religion out there and they can't some they're just they're frankly they can't all be both they can't be true all at the same time then what you have is it's increasingly implausible to people who are looking at it from the outside and that's the number that's increasing fast as you can call them they're now called either religious nuns or non-verts yeah, they're not going to convert because as augustine said only that which is plausible is believable and the problem in babylon was it simply wasn't plausible that there's one true god and what we're facing uh, a significant blowback now is we have 200 years of saying uh, here's the Christianity as I understand it. I'm going to do what's right in my own eyes. And for uh, people who are sort of sensible about these things, they say, well, if there's that many individualized alternative takes on what is the gospel of discipleship, that's not plausible. Now I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to be spiritual but not religious at all. And that's the fastest growing group. And so what happens is um, cultural institutions sort of make the faith plausible or meaningful and i think our challenge pet is not so much will this will this you know perhaps spark someone's interest in christianity of course it might tinsel and tree a star at the top uh, a creche somewhere so of course of course i'm not opposed to any of those I think that's somewhat uh, peripheral because the predominant cultural influences are basically saying the historic view of the incarnation and the mind-blowingness of that, which was approached with some sobriety, uh, sub, uh, and uh, an advent and then was celebrated by 12 days it was a high feast it's pretty much gone and so it makes it increasingly implausible for thinking people to go why do you guys even do all that stuff uh, here's how i understand christmas and that's the way i'm going to celebrate it you're right back into babylon where the, at least the sons of Judah were saying, now, there's only one true God, Jehovah. And the average Babylonian would go, that doesn't make any sense at all. How intolerant can you be? Last but not least, I would urge uh, next time around we come to this uh, sort of year where Christmas is celebrated on Sunday. Interesting, it was uh, in the New York Times. Get these stats. So in, Two-thirds of the worldwide church comes from what C.S. Lewis would call the old Western traditions or old traditions. They were actually Asian, also an African. And they would take in things like uh, uh, the influence of Thomas in India and the churches that came out of that, Orthodox traditions, which are spread widely through the Eastern world and Asia and Eastern Europe and uh, Anglican Catholic and the uh, reporter was noting that most of those Christians almost 100 percent 
when they asked, well, it's Christmas on Sunday, you're certainly not going to have services. Their answer was. Most of the, the traditional, you see? Yeah. Their answer was probably, of course we are. Of course we are. That's right. Why? Here's why. Audience of one is what the Puritans called it. God's present. He's present in the host. He's present in the bread of life. Of course we're going to. We might only have four people there. <laughs> we haven't never done it for how many are going to show up. And God doesn't show up, by the way. He's present. The true presence of Christ is there. Of course we're going to have it. 100%. Uh, when it was in the asked Reformed type of traditions, Presbyterian, what have you, uh, 80%. But 20% said, no, we're not going to have services. Not enough people show up. In the evangelical tradition, 60%. 40% say they're going to bag services. Because not enough people show up. That I, too tells us something about Christmas. Well, I, I'm just curious if it's like in in many evangelical churches. I'm sure there's an element too of um, it requires a lot to run the church, there and so we're you requiring go. our whole staff to to be here on Christmas instead of spending time with their families. Yeah, that's right. Which makes sense, but also maybe alludes a little bit to the just simply the question of, well, should it require this much to put on a church service? I don't, I don't know. Well, you just set up. Okay, listeners, this makes the podcast worth listening to. If you got oh, the you just hit the nail on the head on two of the so the two issues were. Yeah, it just it takes a lot of staff to pull this thing off. Mm-hmm. Which I always thought was curious. I read, uh, you know, whether people don't even know who Charles Spurgeon is anymore, but um, he was a famous preacher in London. Uh, uh, guesstimates were his church grew as large as 20,000. Wow. And um, there was uh, two staff, he and his secretary. How the hell did you pull that off? You know, his, his question of his life today is, what in God's name are you guys doing? So you have that problem, yes. You have staff. And that's because, and I go back to a lot of these good books, of, of uh, the church in many ways looks and acts a lot more like a mall. You've got to have, you got to staff this thing up. And uh, so and then the second uh, challenge is why they call up services. They say can't get enough volunteers. Well, again, you're back to, If you're asking for volunteers, you're asking those people to, to understand, of course we would have church. But you're compounding the challenge is if you don't gather, and I also, by the way, in these traditions we mentioned 100%, the centerpiece of the sacraments, it's the Eucharist. And, um, in the ones we mentioned that um, reformed and evangelical and what have you, the centerpiece is the sermon. So you don't have to be present bodily for the sermon, so you can throw it up online. Right. But what you do is you erode, I think, again. Christmas is about the word became flesh. 
and in these two-thirds of the worldwide church the sunday is about celebrating and tasting and feeling and touching the word became flesh because christ the true presence of christ the real presence in the host you can't get that online but in one third of the church worldwide church the centerpieces of sermon you can get that online but by eroding by not celebrating the word became flesh a la christmas in the flesh you erode plausibility that this really is some sort of high holiday in the church that uh, it doesn't matter if um, nobody shows up and listeners by the way i've just had a flashback to many 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 years ago a good little article and set aside if you want your prejudices against roman catholicism if you have and just google an article by sarah hinkley it's h-i-n-c-k-l-e-y it's in a magazine called first things and her article was called why go to mass question mark why go to mass and here's why she was not catholic when she wrote the article but here's why a young woman at that time, she used to mentor a group of, of kids, and I guess they were college students. And uh, so they went one uh, day to Mass, just midweek Mass, morning. And um, there was no one there, except for the priest. So afterward, they asked the priest, well, there's no one here, why would you do Mass? What did he say? guessing something along the lines of God's here or you know, the purpose yeah. of Mass is not for the audience. That's right. Any... Yeah, we celebrate Mass whether no one's here because He is here. And he is, he is, His real presence is here in the, in, the, in the bread and the wine. Of course we celebrate it. Of course. Every morning right here at 7 a.m. And that had a profound impact on the lives of many there, including Sarah's. Uh, so I think we erode... The significance of the word became flesh, Christmas, incarnation, birth, generated. When we don't celebrate it in the Eucharist, so we come to a day where the weather outside is frightful and uh, online inside is delightful and uh, the bread and wine are not the real presence and we're there for the sermon. So let's just celebrate Christmas at home. Let's watch whatever we want to watch online. I think what we do is we we erode the plausibility of the Christian faith and Christmas in Babylon.